Whitehead drives to the hole. Hangs and what? Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass. Archidiakono front court slips. Fires and that's it. The Seton Hall Pirates defeat Villanova 69-67. And for the first time in 23 years, their Big East Tournament champion. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Powell. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Pyong! Miles Kale, 84-83. And Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation. 84-83. What a win for the Pirates. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates season. Pow! From Trenton! What Trenton makes, the world takes! With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates will dive into the Pirates season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as Seton Hall looks to return to the NCAA tournament. McKnight will inbound. Pow! They throw it up the Mamo! This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. If you were to ask me how to describe this week for the Seton Hall Pirates, it'd have to be grit. Because that is what this big win was against the Golden Eagles. The Pirates had no place losing this game. Marquette is reeling right now. They cannot get out of their own way. And if the Pirates did not win this game, there'd be a lot of questions by the committee come March. Do the Pirates deserve to be an NCAA tournament team? And once again, the Pirates found a way to grit out a tough game that they were never at any really point in full control of. Pirates scored 57 points. The only difference is the defense allowed only 51. The Pirates didn't have Bryce Aiken. The Pirates had to go with Jahari Long, in response to Shavar Reynolds being in foul trouble. For long stretches of this game, the Pirates did not have Ike Biagu or Shavar Reynolds. And the Pirates still figured out a way to win, especially on the defensive end. This was a big game for the Pirates, more so because it avoids a bad loss. Because right now, Marquette is a very bad loss. The Pirates got lucky. They figured out a way to win. And not luck in the sense that they got the game handed to them. Lucky in the sense that they avoided a disaster of a loss at this point in the season. You can't lose games right now. Not to teams like Marquette. Not to teams like Marquette who are in the bottom half of the record in the conference. Marquette is at 5-10 and 10 overall right now after this game. 5-10 and 10 overall in Big East play. 9-12 and 12 overall for the season. You can't lose that game. The Pirates right now are 9-5 and five in conference play. And 12-8 and eight overall. And they have really, like we said last week, righted the ship, got back on track, had the week off now with a bye, and here they are, ready to go. We're going to dive into the game against Marquette. 
We're also going to dive into the Scene Hall Women's Program, who returned from their pause, which is very exciting for them because now this is the third time they've had to deal with this. And the Pirates are in a position right now with Coach Bazella at the helm to try to find a way to get a couple key wins down the stretch and get in that top four of the Big East Women's Conference. They need to get to that top four. They're hovering at number five right now. They're close. They have to get a little bit further ahead. We're also going to touch base on the overall conference and outlook of the rest of the season and really dive into a couple other key big things. And one of which I'm very excited to share is that I got engaged. And then we're also going to dive into some other key things about the Scene Hall Pirates on and off the court. And you're going to be able to hear it all here on Courtside Pirates. And we thank you for joining us. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and follow along on Twitter at Paisis. That is at P-A-I-Z-I-S for updates and new episode announcements. And above all, I would love to hear from you. Send over some questions on Twitter that could be answered on the next episode. With a much-needed bye week coming off of two crucial road wins at Providence and UConn, the Pirates were able to recharge and prepare for the final stretch of the regular season, which started with a return to the Prudential Center to face Marquette. Earlier this week, Sandro Mamukelejvili was named to the Naismith Trophy midseason team as one of the 30 candidates for the National Player of the Year. I have certainly been tough on Sandro this season because I truly believe he has incredible potential. He delivered, along with Miles Kale last week, in two crucial road wins. Recognition as a National Player of the Year midseason team is certainly well-deserved at this point in the season. Shavar Reynolds, meanwhile, was named one of 30 candidates for the 2020-2021 Men's Basketball Senior Class Award, which is annually given to an NCAA Division I senior who has made notable achievements in four areas of excellence, community, classroom, character, and competition. Reynolds is a three-time member of the Big East All-Academic Team with a grade point average above 3.5. And this is a nice accolade for Reynolds, who has one of the greatest stories in college basketball with the way his development has progressed. And Seton Hall has now had a candidate for the Senior Class Award each of the last four years as Miles Powell, Mike Enzi, and Angel Delgado were all candidates, with Powell and Delgado being finalists. But that brings us to the game against Marquette, in which the Pirates did win this game 57-51. But it was not easy, as the Pirates had to do it without Ike Obiagu and without Shavar Reynolds for extended minutes of this game. The Pirates struggled a lot in this game with foul trouble. Early on in the game, they didn't, and towards the end of the game, it really became an issue for the Seton Hall Pirates. So I think you have to give the Pirates credit for being able to fight through this game without having Bryce Aiken, who was able to then alleviate Shavar Reynolds when he was in foul trouble and had to use Jahari Long for an extended amount of time. Jahari Long got 18 minutes in this game, but he struggled. He had four turnovers and no points, and... I get it. Jahari Long needs development. But the only way he's going to do that is with time on the court. So Pirates fans have to be patient with Jahari Long. He needs the minutes. And Javar Reynolds, when he is not having a good game, like in fairness, yesterday he struggled. He struggled to play with them. Jahari Long is going to need those minutes. Bryce Aiken, if he's not healthy, next up is Jahari Long. Shavar Reynolds had 22 minutes. He went 3-for-5 from the floor. He had 4-for-4 from the line. He had three rebounds. He came back into this game with seven minutes left, just about, and did not get another foul. He was a crucial reason the Pirates ended up holding on to win this game against Marquette. He finished with 10 points, but what he did on the court 
is so crucial because it sets up the plays such a more unique way than what we have with Bryce Aiken and what we have with Jahari Long. Sandro Mamakalashvili, meanwhile, had 11 points on 10 rebounds. So he had a nice little double-double. But he struggled overall. You know, his shooting wasn't great. He was 4 for 12 from the floor. He never really got into a real rhythm. He logged the most minutes for the Pirates at 37. But he wasn't as crisp as he was in the games prior. But again, other guys have to step up. It can't always be just Mamu. Miles Kale was quiet. He had seven points on two for nine from the floor with 31 minutes of playing. But he had seven rebounds. And at one point, I thought Miles Kale was playing fantastic with him with his ability on the, on the defensive side. So I'm curious to see how these guys bounce back now in their next game. Because that's where the, the test is really going to start. You get this game. You get the momentum. But then you have to play against DePaul, which, in my opinion, should be an easy win for the Pirates. And then they travel on the road against Georgetown. And I think when you look at Georgetown and you look at DePaul, these are two games the Pirates cannot lose. It's as simple as that. Georgetown is 4-7 and seven in the conference. DePaul is 1-9. and nine. They have a combined five wins. The Pirates have nine total wins in conference. You cannot lose these games. It also gets you to 11 wins in conference play. Coach Willard put them in a horrible position in the beginning of the season to have to grind out games, and it only helped and made them a stronger team because of it. They had a brutal stretch of games to start this year. People forget that. The reason Seen Hall is where they are right now is because Coach Willard trusted in his team during an unpredicted year of COVID-19 and challenged them early with tough games away from Seton Hall. And they delivered. And look at the top of the conference. Villanova, Creighton, Seton Hall. What has changed in the year? Are the Seton Hall Pirates as good as they were last year? No. Is Creighton as good as they were last year? Yes, and to some extent, I think they might be better. Is Villanova as good as they were last year? I don't know. I think they are good, but I think Creighton is better. I think Villanova has, in some ways, benefited from the program pauses. They haven't been able to get exposed, and they've played well overall, but they have flaws. So do Creighton. But the difference is, I think Creighton has more talent and more consistency to win game in and game out. They're a deeper team. But Seton Hall's got a nice little wiggle room right now from that thir- three and four spot. The one guy, though, I want to talk about from this last game against Marquette is Jared Roden. What I said about Jared Roden before the season, I still hold true. I felt and believe that he is going to end up being one of the most important Pirates of this season and one of the best Pirates and arguably the best Seton Hall Pirate next year. He might be there right now. He's so good at finding ways to score even when he's not having a great game. And in this game, the Pirates needed him. The junior had a game-high 20 points, including 14 in the second half. That's the difference. The Pirates needed that kind of performance because they didn't get it anywhere else. Mamu had 11. Reynolds had 10. Kale had 7. Roden had 20. You got your guy to get you points. I was very impressed, very impressed with Jared Roden in this game. He was 7 for 17 from the floor and 2 for 7 from 3, but it was the rebounding. He had 7, which was tied for second most on the team with Kale. He had two steals. He had a block. He only had one turnover. He had four assists. Jared Roden had an overall very good game in 36 minutes of playing. You know, the Pirates shot 40% in the first half. They shot 33% in the second. The Pirates did not shoot well in this game. They were above average, mediocre at best from the line. The Pirates have been very good from the free throw line this year. One of the top teams in the conference but they were at 76.5% on 13 for 17 shooting. 
This game came down to the final minutes, and in my opinion, it shouldn't have, but it did, and the Pirates found a way to grit out a tough win, and I give them credit for that because without that win, there is no talk about March Madness unless if you win the Big East tournament. There's no talk. The Pirates can't lose games to the bottom half of the conference this year. These games are going to be looked at in such a critical eye with the committee that if you lose that game, it's over. It's over. And it's not because the Pirates found a way to win. So I give the Pirates credit because they do have a lot of pieces in place right now to succeed. But to get there, they need to keep winning these games. And they have a tougher stretch coming up towards the end of the second half of the year. But the real stretch of the season that's been a gauntlet of a schedule is done. They played Creighton twice. They played Villanova twice. They have one more game against UConn. St. John scares me. I, I'm not looking forward to the Pirates facing St. John's. And they have to play them twice. St. John's is on the right path of now in an upward trajectory to do well. And that concerns me because the Pirates haven't played them yet. But games against Georgetown, games against DePaul, games against Butler, you have to win. You have to win. And if they do that, they will be in a good position to proceed farther down the line in the conference tournament and find a way to make the NCAA tournament once again. If they do that, they have a shot. And this victory improves Seen Hall to 12-8 and overall and 9-5 and in Big East play. And it's the sixth straight season that Seen Hall has reached at least nine victories in Big East play. They have been a model of consistency for a small school. They are doing fantastic things under Coach Willard and the staff. This team has done well. We are at the point as fans and alumni and media where you expect certain things from Seton Hall every year. That's good. You want them to have that type of pressure on them. That means they are doing it over and over again and showing a consistent ability to do so. Seton Hall has now won six games straight against Marquette. It's only the third time they've swept the program series. Fun fact, this is also the first Big East win for Seton Hall when only scoring in the 50s since a 55-47 win over USF on January 23rd in 2013. This is also the first time Seton Hall has started the month of February with three wins in Big East play since 2009, including this season. Pirates are now 25-15 and 15 in the month of February over the last five seasons. They have not really been a good team overall in the month of February. They have stretches where they start losing games. I think the Pirates will benefit from the fact that they've already played the top teams in the conference and are done. Pirates are in a good position right now to make a good run at the end of this season. And I'm excited to see where they go from here because they have to find ways to win. And they will try to find those ways at home and on the road. A third program pause results in a third program restart win as the Scene Hall women's basketball team got back on the court when they traveled to play Georgetown. An impressive defensive performance which has fueled the Pirates the prior five games continued as the Pirates won their six straight games, 60-52, to 52, while the Pirates looked rusty early on on the offensive side, at least, of the court in the first half after a 17-day program pause. The Pirates got into a groove in the fourth quarter and this is what many teams are facing coming out of program pauses, but Coach Bazella's team continues to be prepared. After shooting just 19.7% from the floor through three quarters, which is just terrible, the Pirates shot 67.7% on 10 for 15 shooting in the fourth quarter. With the win, the Pirates improved to 7-2 and two in Big East action, and as mentioned, won six straight games for the first time this season and the first time since 2015-2016, heading into the second game of the season against UConn. 
Espinosa Hunter had to grind for 18 points with half of those points coming in the fourth quarter, while Desiree L. Moore had 15, Lauren Park Lane had 12, and Jasmine Smith had 11 off the bench. The Pirates missed 13 of their first 15 shots in the game, and they somehow managed to take an 8-7 lead in the second quarter. And let that fester in an 8-7 lead in the quarter on 2-for-15 shooting to start the game. Give credit to the Pirates' defense for keeping them in this game. They had no offense at all. But they were down 25-22 at half and 36-34 heading into the fourth quarter. Again, a 19% shooting through three quarters will do that for you. Espinosa Hunter continues to lead the team in scoring since entering the fold, having now scored in double figures in eight straight games and missed her sixth straight game with 20 points by just two. While it wasn't the prettiest and decisive of wins, it was a very important win coming out of yet another program pause and ahead of a highly anticipated juggernaut rematch with UConn at the Gamble Pavilion. And as the Lady Pirates traveled to Storrs, Connecticut, riding a six-game win streak to take on the number two UConn Huskies, they started off the game very strong. They played very well defensively in the first half to keep the Huskies at bay and took a 27-26 lead into the half. The 26 points were the fewest they've scored in a Big East game this season. And Gino, after the game, gave the Pirates credit, and a ton of credit, actually, for how well they played defensively in the first half against this team. But as the UConn women's basketball usually does, they found a way to win a decisive victory, 70-49, to holding Seton Hall to just 22 points in the second half and just sixth in the fourth quarter. The Pirates really played with high energy for the first half, forcing 13 turnovers, but a 12-0 run at the end of the third quarter gave the Huskies all they needed down the stretch in the game to keep chipping away at the Pirates. So the Pirates went to 9-4 overall and 7-3 in Big East, while UConn improved to 15-1 overall and 12-0 in conference play. But I will tell you what, this UConn team is very good. Great, in fact. But they definitely have flaws. They have had a tendency to keep teams in games early before winning and taking commanding leads, and they have had some serious scares along the way. I remember the last time I was up in stores, Connecticut, and I had a one-on-one exclusive interview with Maya Moore, and she talked about UConn and the culture. And even as a student, Maya Moore, you just knew she was destined to do great things both on and off the court. She carried herself as a seasoned veteran, and it is a trend that has continued in the five to six years since her time at the program. The difference now, though, is the Pirates have to face them in conference play twice a year again. And because of COVID, I hope everyone gets judged on a level playing field. The Pirates have lost two of their four games to UConn and two of their three conference losses. Some teams have not even played UConn once yet. And this will really ruin their chances at a better seed in the Big East tournament and potential NCAA appearance. The conference needs to get as many of these games and make-up games in. Not just for the women, but for the men as well. Every game matters down the stretch. And as every game matters, the Lady Pirates lost a tight and tough one in Walsh Gym over the weekend as the Pirates fell to Creighton in overtime, 77-76. Desiree L. Moore put up a game-high 25 points and erupted for 17 rebounds in what is easily her most dominating game this season to date. But that was not enough as the Blue Jays scored with 1.7 seconds left in overtime to secure the one-point win. Lauren Park Lane had 19 points, including the final two, when she drove the lane with 18 seconds remaining to give the Pirates their first lead in overtime 76-75, which would prove to be the final points of the contest for the Pirates. The big difference in this game, though? Three-point shooting, as the Blue Jays were 10 for 29, while Seen Hall was just 5 for 17. Crane also won the rebounding battle 42 to 39. 
So Elmore gets 17 of those rebounds, while Andrea Espinosa Hunter, who struggled with her shooting, nearly doubled her previous career high in rebounding with 15. But still, outside of really Elmore and Park Lane, the Pirates struggled with their shooting overall from beyond the arc. And that proved to be the difference. So Seton Hall falls to 9-5 overall and 7-4 in Big East in what was Seton Hall's first overtime game since falling to Xavier 63-62 on January 6, 2019. The Seton Hall Lady Pirates now travel this week to take on DePaul in a huge game on the road before coming home to play Georgetown and Providence. After that, the Lady Pirates have just three games remaining on the schedule, all on the road, which include at Xavier, a huge game that was postponed at Villanova, and the season finale on March 1st at St. John's. This brings us to our closing segment, Courtside Perspective. It was announced in New York City that fans would be allowed back to stadiums. And while not full capacity, a 10% capacity would be allowed starting February 23rd at Madison Square Garden and also at the Barclay Center. This is big. This is the start of the New York, New Jersey area coming back to normal. It's small, but it's better than nothing. The thought of being able to attend a Big East tournament game this season, regardless of the capacity is something I'm very, very excited about. While the Prudential Center in New Jersey haven't made any announcements yet, they usually follow suit with New York soon after, and hopefully that will allow maybe some games at the end of the season for the Pirates. Maybe the game against UConn, the Pirates can have fans in the stands. Or perhaps fans can travel to Karnaseka Arena for the last game of the regular season when the Seen Hall Pirates travel to face St. John's. This is what happens when things start to get better. There is still a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. But the one thing that can be had is hope. Hope that everyone's lives can get back to normal. Hope that people can start attending games. Hope that people can go out in public and not be afraid anymore. I, for one, cannot wait to attend a sporting game again. I don't care what it is. It is killing me not being able to go to games. A big reason for this podcast came because of the fact that I needed a way to express what I'm already thinking and a way to have an outlet for what I love, and that's sports. We're going to get fans back at stands. When? For certain, on February 23rd, New York City will allow a 10% capacity. And speaking of the Big East tournament and attending games, the last game I did attend was Senior Day last year, and it was only fitting The day that it was announced that fans would be allowed back at games was also my birthday and the day that Miles Powell, Quincy McKnight, and Romero Gill made their G League debuts. Gill came off the bench for Salt Lake City, and while Q did not see action for the Mad Ants, who faced the Westchester Knicks and Miles Powell, Powell from three still hit home. And my only regret was not seeing Q and Powell go head-to-head with one another. And it would have been fun to see, and... Powell put up 16 points off the bench and, of course, a few threes, and he followed that up with a very good performance again. And Powell is showing right now that he deserves to be playing in the G League. Does he deserve to be in the NBA? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, don't count out Miles Powell. No Pirate fan does. And it's going to be fun to see if he can make that next step and that leap to the NBA. Because I hope he does. I think I'm certainly going to think Knicks fans would want to see him drain some threes at MSG. And nonetheless, this has been a week where the Pirates have needed to get wins, and they have. The women's team needs to find ways to bounce back now and get some big wins on the road and at home. And the men have to avoid losing bad games. 
and they have two games against opponents that should not beat them on paper. Now they need to go out and prove it. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, and search Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Pazes and let me know what you thought about this episode, and send over any questions you may want answered. The next episode will go live on February 22nd following Scene Hall's home game versus DePaul and road game against Georgetown. And we're going to have a special guest, so you'll definitely want to keep an eye out on Twitter for an announcement of who's coming on the show. Again, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates. Courtside Pirates.